Well, welcome. It's good to be able to hang out with you and spend some time with you, and especially to spend some time around God's Word together. Have you ever wondered who influences you and the decisions that you make? If I was to look at influences and think about them, there are those, there are those people that, whether it be in your family or your friends or your neighbours, other people in your world, in your life, that influence the decisions that you make. And I would generally group them into two categories. There are those who are nudges, and then there are those who are disruptors. Now, the difference would be a nudger is someone who just gives you a general bump every once in a while and moves you into a particular direction or encourages you to move into a particular direction. Then there are those who are uh, disruptors. They're the ones that give you a good shove. Okay, so think about um, what's been happening in Melbourne with the protesters over the last week. And they are disruptors. Rather than just trying to nudge and encourage people to make better choices, they are ones that want to stand and disrupt community and society. And there are times and places where both are important. So please don't hear that as a judgment on either one. In church life, we also will find that in our world, we will have both nudges and disruptors. Those who you look to when it comes time to change something and there's a decision being made. You know, the, I'm not sure if you've ever been a part of a church where that you've had one of those meetings where everyone kind of holds back until the first nod starts to happen in agreement and then everyone else starts to you know, nod in agreement as well or the first hand goes up in agreement and once everyone else sees that that hand has gone up, then everyone else is prepared to put their hand up as well. You have those influences in church life as well. Those uh, who influence you, whether it be in the area of cough syrup or in car polish, who influences you? The popularised term influencer comes into a life of its own with the advent of social media and especially that of Instagram, a way to fill in time when you're travelling on public transport or for those that are looking for a distraction when they should be doing the cleaning up after the evening meal. Who are the biggest influencers in Australia? Well, we've got a graph there. And you can see that my name heads the list with a whole nine people that follow me on Facebook. Then you've got someone like Alan Jones, 50,000 likes on Facebook. You've got Scott Morrison. He commands 200,000 likes on Facebook. Then you've also got Anthony Albanese, 114,000 likes on Facebook. Compare them to those people that have been protesting around Australia of late, the Extinction, Extinction Rebellion disruptors that we've heard about, 319,000 likes on Facebook. Now compare that to the top influencer. I'm sure you each follow her fitness posts as you, like me, work on your bikini body. Um, but Kayla Incensees has amassed 27 million likes 
on Facebook. She is Australia's most prolific and largest influencer. And who here has heard of her? Yeah. Oh, one person? Oh, yeah, good on you. Well done. So we've got a couple of people that have heard of her. Fantastic. But it's amazing. So she's got 27 million likes on Facebook and 7 million followers on Instagram. Now, well before there was Facebook and Instagram, a few thousand years ago, the Assyrian king Shennacherib was a social influencer of the day with around 385,000 followers, his army. Um, who were the movers and the shakers of the time. When he spoke, Sennacherib commanded the world's respect. The contemporary world of his day sat up and took notice. For the last few weeks, we've been looking over the shoulder, as it were, of Isaiah, as the prophet and his followers document the situation of God's people in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And today we continue our series as we look at the message of Isaiah. Chapters 36 and 37 of Isaiah are intrinsically linked. So it's worthy of a really quick recap to put this message into context. So the Assyrian army moves down from the north like a tsunami engulfing all in its way, conquering the fortified towns of Judah and fighting with Egypt Then they settle at Lachish. While a formidable contingent is sent to Jerusalem with Shennacherib's commander-in-chief, the second in command to the king's army after the king, also goes with this group, going with this group is his field commander and the chief of staff, his personal advisor. Two weeks ago, we heard about Shennacherib's chief of staff and how he commences his siege of intimidation on Hezekiah and the people that are bunkered down in Jerusalem, striving to fill them with doubts and fears. Brazenly, they declare that nothing will protect Jerusalem from Sennacherib's intention to level the city. If you're smart, they cry out, if you care about yourself and about the people, you will take the easy way out. Jerusalem's only hope is not in Yahweh God, it's in wholesale surrender. Sennacherib's own records show him boasting about trapping Hezekiah in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. Meanwhile, Back at the Lachish ranch, the balance of the Assyrian army is getting kind of bored. So they send some of their men to share some of their influence, read attack, on a small but affluent city of Libna. Then comes the news that the Ethiopian army is advancing from the south. So Sennacherib prepares to move his army, including those stationed outside of Jerusalem, to address this provocation. Before Shennacherib's army at Jerusalem leaves, he sends another message. Don't get the wrong idea. Nothing has changed. There is no hope for you. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Isaiah 37. Isaiah 37. In Isaiah 37, we read of the equivalent of Sennacherib's post to the Facebook of the day. He paints a picture 
of his strength in an Instagram type image to burn deeply into the in, and brand it into the minds of those who dare to oppose his influence. Listening to the message of Sennacherib as he boasts about his exploits in Isaiah 37, verse 24. As Yahweh God actually gives this account. By your messengers, Yahweh God says, you have defied the Lord. You have said, with my many chariots, I have conquered the highest mountains. Yes, the remotest peaks of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars and its finest cypress trees. I've reached its farthest heights and explored its deepest forest. I have dug wells in many foreign lands and refreshed myself with their water. With the sole of my foot, I have stopped up all the rivers of Egypt. Arrogance, pride, defiance, ridicule, belittling others and asserting dominance and superiority. Even Hezekiah did not know of all the posturing and brazen behavior of Sennacherib as he went around marking his territory. But Yahweh God, who had seen and heard it all and knows all. Such was the arrogance of Sennacherib that he had for asserting his importance that he sent um, that it was something that he sent his messengers to do on his behalf. He wasn't going to dare to bore himself with this sort of menial task of slanging off at Yahweh God. He'd send one of his, his minions to do it instead. Now, it's interesting that chariots in verse 24 was the strike fighters of their day. They were great on the plains and on the flat land, but useless in the mountains. Well, scoffs Snackerim, that might be the case for others and other kings and other countries. But for Sennacherib, it was different. He hadn't, he hadn't bought an unbreakable Hilux. It had nothing to do with the, the, the chariot's kit, as it were, but it had everything to do with how good he saw himself as king. Eight times in two verses, it's all about I and my. How powerful am I? How good am I? Sennacherib saw himself as the most significant influencer of his time. So it was not so much asking a question, but declaring it to be so. Highest mountains, remotest peaks, deepest forests, mightiest rivers are no match for me. It's interesting that Um, we find that for many influencers and leaders, they can fall victim to hubris. As their influence and power grows, they can be arrogant and overconfident, so much so that they lose touch with the reality 
with, lose touch with reality. And it gives the person an overestimation of their own competence and they ignore the warnings of others around them. It can happen for pastors, for performers, for politicians. It can happen from Instagrammers to international CEOs. But rather than being seduced by their influence, it pays to have a healthy understanding of where people of influence really sit on the scale of influence and power to bring about real change. You see, Yahweh God is not asleep at the wheel, nor are the actions of an individual outside the scope of God's sovereignty. The author and creator of all life gives the following rebuttal to the posturing and the hubris of Sennacherib in Isaiah 37.22. The Lord has spoken this word against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and laughs at you. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head in derision as you flee. Whom have you been defiling and ridiculing? Against whom did you raise your voice? At whom did you look at with such haughty eyes? It was the Holy One of Israel. And then continuing in verse 26. But have you not heard? I, Yahweh God, decided this long ago. Long ago I planned it and now I am making it happen. I planned for you to crush fortified cities into heaps of rubble. That is why their people have so little power and are so frightened and confused. They are as weak as grass as easily trampled as tender green shoots. They are like grass sprouting on a housetop, scorched before it can grow lush and tall. But I know you well, where you stand and when you come and go. I know the way you have raged against me. And because of your raging against me and your arrogance, which I have heard for myself, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I'll make you return by the same road on which you came. Are you that obtuse, Sennacherib? Here you are thinking that you are such a strong king, but outside of my sovereign authority, you are powerless. You thought you were such a stately monarch. You are nothing but my senseless mule. And I will send you back along the same road on which you came. And the weakest women will laugh in derision at the sight of your sulking every little step that you take along the way. Yahweh God does not deny the impact that Sennacherib had But Yahweh God reminds him on the way down from grandeur to gutter that I was the one who sovereignly worked through you. John Oswald, in his commentary on Isaiah, says God's sovereignty about 
says about God's sovereignty, that he, God, is not threatened by events. In fact, events are the arena in which he chooses to make himself known. It is the eye of faith which sees the hand of God in what seems to be a catastrophe. There is never room for human arrogance. All that we are and have are ultimately gifts from God. For us today, we can come up against such arrogance when people behave in such a way that it makes us feel tiny in comparison to themselves. So consumed with their their own self-importance and grandeur, they strut about and we can be left wondering, where is God in this? God, don't you hear, don't you see what's going on here? Or we can think that we have such little influence that we figure bringing about change in a situation or a circumstance is beyond us. But it's easy for us to forget. To forget the most powerful thing that we can ever do in a situation. It's not to protest. It's not to stop traffic. It's not even to sign a petition or to sail across the ocean. Galatians 6, 1-10 clearly reminds us that we are to be concerned about the welfare of others and our world. Yet if we do these things without involving God, then we will clearly limit not only our abilities and our effectiveness, but we can also limit the outcome. We might even find ourselves working against the sovereignty of God. Yes, absolutely, we need to do what we can, but we also need to place prayer as a priority, just as Hezekiah and his leaders did when they were faced with Sennacherib's desire to intimidate and influence God's people. Once again, John Oswald um, comments how fortunate Hezekiah was to have someone like Isaiah near at this time. A person who was so much in touch with God that he could convey the comforting words at once while the work of God in history unfolded more slowly. We read this in Isaiah 37 verses 21 to 38. Then Isaiah son of Amos sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Because you prayed about King Sennacherib of Assyria, the Lord has spoken this word against him. And the passage continues as we've looked at already. God is not obligated to act when we pray, to think that places our sovereignty above that of God's. Prayer also is not about superstition. It's not about mind over matter. To think that is to deny the realities of countless lives and also the teaching of the Bible. But what we discover in this passage, and continuing on from what Aletheia shared last week, is that when we place our trust in God, when we submit our situation, our life to God in prayer, then there is a beautiful and a powerful partnership that takes place. We commune with, And our soul finds rhythm 
with the Spirit of God. We have permission to call on God's name and to invite the creator of the universe to intercede in circumstances and situations which concern us and those around us. And God does move, even if it is to change our perspective. So what comes of God's people and Judah's enemy? What happens to those forces that seek to ridicule and defy Yahweh God? We continue from Isaiah 37 verses 32 and following. For a remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem, a group of survivors from Mount Zion. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with, its sheer, with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. He will not enter this city, says the Lord. For my own honour and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city and protect it. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 of the Assyrians' soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshipping in the temple of his god Nishrok, his sons Adaramalek and Shah-Azir killed him with their own swords, with their swords. Then they escaped to the land of Ararat. And another son, Asher Hadon, became the next king of Assyria. One report suggests that it might have been a plague brought through mice that swept through the camp, destroying 48% of the Assyrian army. Regardless of the method God used, the results were the same. Sennacherib and his army broke camp, returned home never to trouble Judah or Jerusalem again for the next 20 years of Sennacherib's life. Before, Sennacherib and his son, before Sennacherib's sons did him in. You know, in today's world, we can look at influences and we can look to influence to try and make change, to try and make a difference. We may even find ourselves intimidated by those who have worldly authority and live in fear of them. Yet for we who are followers of Jesus, God's Son, we have the opportunity and the permission to come before the Creator of the universe, who is sovereign over all creation, the ultimate change maker. We have the invitation by Jesus to ask in Jesus' name and to sit with God and offer our hopes 
and our fears, our desperations and our desires to the one who knows us by name. Prayer is so much more than a token. If we treat it like self-talk, then we miss out on the opportunity to converse with our Creator. If you find yourself in a battle, facing opposition or needing some form of assistance, then sure, we can engage with some earthly influences and we can try and have them make a difference in our world. But shouldn't we instead be prayerfully pursuing the heart of God and coming to Jesus in prayer? As we take some time to respond now, and as we pause just for a moment, there's some questions that I wanted to leave with you today. What are the barriers for you to pray? What are the things that get in the road? The things, whether it be your headspace or your time management, the other things that are going on in your world that are barriers for you to pray. How might you invest more in prayer? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to influence you when you come to God in prayer? Or are you so busy putting out your shopping list and your wish list to God, and then as soon as you finish, you hang up and get on with the rest of your day? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you? What's on your heart? Which would you, which would you like to offer in prayer to God today? Let's take some time as the music's played to respond to the things that God might be saying to us today. Those response cards will be collected with our offering during the singing of our final song as well. God bless you.